If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, join me in Romans chapter 11. And we're, uh, I titled this message Unfinished because what we're going to look at uh, is just the truth and the reality as Paul has continued to write that God is not finished with his people. And there's a future restoration for the nation of Israel. But at the same time, there's so much. There's so much for us to draw out of this. So let's start together in Romans 11. Let's read uh, verse 1 and part of verse 2. We won't go all the way verse two, through verse 2 just to set the groundwork for us. Paul continuing to write, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people? the nation of Israel. And then there's that, that emphatic statement again. And if, uh, if you were to ever to study this out in the original language and dig deep into it, the words that we see in my translation, I'm not sure about yours, of course not. That's Paul's answer. Has God rejected his own people? Of course not. Those three words, there's, there's so much strength and power in those words that Paul wants the people to understand. God's not finished yet. And then he goes on, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. And that's, that's what we're going to see this morning as we go through chapter 11. There's, there's one thing to understand really, really clear. This specific chapter of this letter, and again, those chapters, those things that we've done to break this letter up into chunks. This specific chapter, as we call it, chapter 11, Paul writing about the future restoration of Israel. This is written specifically, specifically to a nation, to a people, uh, not necessarily to us. And it's not written uh, there there again there's some things that we're going to pull out of it because it applies to us today but it's not written to the gentile people that were part of the church at rome that paul is writing this broad letter to this is some very specific things to that nation of israel and and what you're going to hear even even in some of the undertones of some of the things that we're going to read and look at this morning, is still that lingering question that we have as we've, as we've moved into this latter part of, of the letter to the Church of Rome. Are you allowing the gospel to shake your life? Shake. <laughs> I hope we let it shake. Are you allowing the gospel to shape your life and the spirit to control it? And I don't know, maybe we ought to change that to shake. But that, that's still a question because Paul, as he's addressing his people, remember, again, this, this is a people, a, a nation that ought to know. They, they ought to know who Jesus Christ is and was at this point because this is after his resurrection and ascension to heaven. They ought to know. They had everything. They had, they had all the prophecy. They had all the writing. They had all the information. They had all the knowledge. And this is a nation that should have been, as, as I've said it a couple of other times, they should have been eagerly awaiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And when he came, 
they should have recognized him instantly. There should have been, there should have not been any doubt or any confusion, but they got in their own way. Their pride got in their way. They, they, they just didn't feel the need for salvation from this Messiah because they, they had everything together. They had zeal. Man, they, they liked to work hard, and they liked to do things, and they liked to make rules, but they were so proud, and they were so self-righteous of who they were that they missed him, they ignored him, and they just, they just and this is Heath's word. I'm not saying this is what it says in the Bible. But they just didn't seem to care because in their minds, they had everything they needed. They had their stuff, and they missed the one that came for them. And, you know, Paul's message has been consistent that salvation is for everybody. It requires belief. It requires faith. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 10, we talked about that it's a message that must be heard. That message of salvation, that message of grace, that gospel message must be heard. And those of us that have heard and accept, we have a great responsibility that comes with the privilege of knowing that good news. And it was the same for those people. They had heard. They had heard, but they chose not to acknowledge and not to accept who was right in front of them. So let's go back. We're going we're gonna to take a, a step back because we've, we keep talking about um, this promise. You know, because the people of Israel, they, they have... They have this promise, and that was Paul's opening question. You know, well, God, he made a promise to them, to the nation, so now has he rejected them? Has he turned his back on them? Has he forgotten them? Has he set them aside? And, of course, Paul answered his own question. No, he has not, but just so that we make sure that we understand, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. You can, I hope, join me, flip all the way back there. If not... We do have the words on the screens, but let's, let's take a look at that. What, what is that promise that we keep talking about? What, what, are these, what are these people supposed to be doing, and who do they represent? And what's all, I mean, literally in, in our terms today, what's, what's all the hubbub about? We keep talking about the chosen people, but what, what does it all mean? So back in Genesis chapter 12, a long time ago in history from when Paul wrote this letter, God spoke to Abraham, then Abram. And this is what he said to him, starting in verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as he had been instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all of his wealth, his livestock, and his people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. 
When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah, and at that time the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Verse 7, then the, Lord, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an ark there, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So there's... There's the promise. There's, there's that reminder of who these, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound derogatory because it, to me this to say these people or those people, that statement just sounds derogatory, and that's not how I mean it. But that, that gives us an understanding of who the people, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people are. God made a promise to one man that through one man, a country would be blessed. But then did you catch did you catch the rest of the statement there in Genesis chapter twelve? Because this is the key for us this morning. The blessing through Abraham, through the people of the nation of Israel, bless would bless the world. It didn't just stop. It wasn't it wasn't just them in particular. There was a blessing and a promise to the world and what we have to understand and what Paul was trying to to get the people that are reading this the letter in that day and then us reading the letter today is God will keep his promise to the fullest extent to the absolute fullest extent that you know there's we talk so much about God's promises and we talk we talk in our terms and in our lives and even talk about sometimes about God's failures but God does not fail and God does not forget his promises and what Paul in this chapter this morning what he's trying to get his people to understand there's a literal future for this literal nation this nation and people of promise. Israel has done so much to do everything on their own and to establish their own righteousness and, and miss the Messiah and, and have done all of these other things, but God has not rejected his people. And in the time that Paul wrote this, there was the, the term in the Bible, and there's so many passages that we could look at. There, there was, the, the term is, then there was a remnant. There was a remnant then. There were people that believed because the, the promise was not, and understand this clearly, the promise was not an ethnicity promise. It's, and it's still not today. It's not for everyone with the ethnic descent as a Jew. There's still a requirement. There's still a necessity to believe. There's still the requirement of faith. These are an elected people, but election is by grace, not by merit. They don't earn this because of just the name they carry. They receive it by believing in the one who promised it, who sent his son to die for them. There's just there's so much entangled in all of this, and so much Paul is, is begging literally begging for the people to understand and to to know that there's still there's still something of them that they have to believe 
But he's wanting them to understand, too, that God is not finished. He's not rejected them. He's not turned his back. He's not walked away from what he told Abram that day a couple of thousand years before this. He wants them to understand God's not finished. So let's move on in the text, verse 11. It's, uh, Paul continues and he says, Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? And there, here's that emphatic statement again. Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. Remember that promise. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for the, him, themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel returned, turned down God's offer of salvation, then think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have so that I might save some. Verse 15, for since their rejection meant that so for since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. So let's let's dig into that section just a just a little bit. Their rejection was a blessing. Remember that promise that God made to Abram. Their, their rejection was a blessing to the rest of the world. But Paul says, but just wait. Just wait. Think how wonderful that was. Think how wonderful that the others outside of that, that circle of the Jewish people have come to know God and have accepted him and, and understand who he is. But just wait and see what happens when my people come back. When my people wake up and when my people accept who I am. And it's, it's kind of like this counteraction, contradiction kind of thing to provoke Israel to jealousy through the Gentile people coming to know Christ, through those that are outside. And, and it, it really should have provoked jealousy to this, this people that are the people of promise, this people that think they have everything together and think they have everything in general. And Others are coming now to know the love of Christ. And that just, should, that just ought to drive them crazy with jealousy, wanting to, to, to get back to who God is and who God should be in their lives. And it makes me think, and, and don't confuse this thought, because this, this one, this is definitely my thought, uh, because it, it could confuse the whole idea. I'm not talking about coveting or anything like that when I'm thinking about or telling this to think about jealousy, but it, it makes me think of, you know, the tactic of kind of like a kid and or a brother and a sister, young kids and a toy. You know, there, there's this toy, and there's this child, maybe he's the golden child, and he doesn't want to play with the toy, but you spend a lot of money on the toy, right? So he doesn't want it, so you give it to the other kid. Well, the other kid starts playing with it, and it becomes cool, and the other kid likes it, and then what happens usually naturally, the first one 
gets jealous of the second one. And then he wants the toy. And that's, that's kind of what Paul is describing, but not in the same way. Uh, because the love of God is not something that we covet. It, it, don't confuse that because we know covetousness is a sin. And it's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. So that's not what Paul's trying to get his people to do. But it's that, okay, you won't accept this. So, here's how God's going to work. He's going to use your rejection to bless another group of people. And draw them to himself. And offer them grace and peace and mercy that they would have never known otherwise. Hoping, hoping to, to enlighten something within the hearts of the Jewish nation. Not enrage, not, not cause them to covet anything, but just to wake them up to the riches of the mercy of God. Just to wake them up. And, if, and, and, and he's saying this, just think, so many great things will happen when my people do wake up. And you, you can discover that all through, all through the Bible. The promises that God has made and made through Israel that will bless the world. But the nation has to accept who he is for this plan to move forward. So what, what God has done is used his plan in a different way to draw people to himself. And Joe brought it up a second ago, and this is, this is something that I've, I've really been pondering. Uh, and this is Heath pondering this. Because Paul, down in verse 20, what he also encourages the Gentile people in the audience not to become proud. And don't, don't become proud and don't become boastful. And, and don't say, hey, look what God's doing for us. And he's leaving you out now. Don't, don't get that in you because that's not the love of God. That's not the nature of, of putting our faith and our love and our hope in God. But ha have you ever wondered, and, and just, again, this is Heath thinking out loud, because, and I'm not an end-is-near guy necessarily. I think there's a lot of things working in the world around us that are pointing to Christ's return. But I'm not standing here this morning saying, Okay, it's tomorrow. Here we go, because God is done with it yet. But think, think about this, because God's plan for his people, his people rejected him. And so he, God then turned his attention, turned his love to a people outside of the promise to draw them in. And that was part of the original promise. That was part of the original promise, us. But he's not done with his people. So think about what's going on in the world today. Heath's brain. Us as Gentiles. And, and yes, there, there's revival going on and there's things going on. But there's also in our people a whole lot of rejection. In our people, there's a whole lot of pride. Is, is God working now his plan to bring back his nation by hardening 
When I say our, I'm just talking in general, the hearts of the Gentiles. By hardening our hearts to go back to his people. Paul's warning us not to boast and not to have pride. But there's so much boasting and pride going on in the world today by the people outside of what was the original covenant promise. Is, is God using that now to draw his people back? Because remember, grace is not a special favor. There, it, there's not something that we've done to earn, and there's, there's nothing that we can do to work for it. But it, it, seems, it just seems in the world, in, in my eyes, that there's, there's, just this, there's just this pride that's stirring in us now and in the church now about what we've done and how good we have it. And look how good we are. And is God... I, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is yes. I'm not saying this is no. But is God saying, okay. Okay, I've, I love you. But now, my people, and we're his people. Don't misunderstand and misinterpret that. Because we've surrendered our lives to Christ. We're his people. But maybe for us as a group, as a whole... He's done. Isn't that a scary thought? I don't think he's done. But, and this, this is where we're going to go. The way God works, could it be? Could it, could it be? Romans 11. Let's pick up in verse uh, 23. Actually, let's pick up in verse 25. I'm so sorry. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the Scripture says. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet, they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that you too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he can have mercy on everyone. And then verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? 
Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And that's, that's Paul's... That's Paul's doxology. And, and a doxology, if you, if you don't remember, if you've been around for a church a long time, you're going to know what a doxology is. It was, uh, it was the little short hymn and, and reading that we did at the end of the service that everybody knew, okay, it's time to go home. Everybody, essentially in the old church, as sad as it's going to sound, they look forward to the doxology because they knew it was lunchtime. But in, in Jewish and synagogue tradition, what, what the doxology symbolizes is that it's it's time to to end this section and transition to the next so that's that's what we're going to see now there's a there's a transition that's taking place in Paul's writing and and we'll we'll start digging into that next week but his his words there you know catch those words and I'm I'm going to open my my bible app here because I I want to read it uh, from another translation that uh, really, really speaks well uh, of what uh, what these words are. Even though this is not one of my translations that I teach from, I, th- I think sometimes the uh, the wording and the understanding of of what is being said is is translated better. But but we'll we'll get to that in just a second. And I'll read that as as we close. But Think about what Paul is saying. And like I was talking about, I don't understand what God's doing, and I don't know what God is doing, and I'm not trying to say that this is a sign of what God is doing. But what Paul wants his audience to understand, and for us today, this is where for us this comes to our understanding and the message to us. God's wisdom and God's knowledge are his alone. There's nothing that we can do to take credit for or manipulate it or anything else. All, all that God does is part of his unbelievable outpouring of grace. That, that is all that God does, and we can't understand it. And who, as Paul says, you know, who are we to try, try to, to work it and to weave it and to, to make it ours when, it, when it's all God's and the work of God. Here's, here, here's the, for me, the highlight of what Paul is saying in this chapter. All of God's works, all of God's works lead us to worship. All of God's works lead us to worship. All the study of His Word, what we call the Bible, all the study of His Word should end in worship. His works lead us to worship. Our study should end in worship. And the best worship is grounded in who God is. Not in what He's done, but grounded in who God is is in the truth for us and what Paul is saying we can worship even when we don't understand we can worship even when we don't understand and that love and that vision of knowing that it's all his plans and all his work is exactly what should drive us ahead 
that love, that worship, that admiration of who he is is what should drive us ahead, especially in the fog of life. I don't know about you, but most of the time outside it's foggy, but most of the time in my life, in my heart, life seems to just be foggy. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's trying to show me. I don't, I don't know, but here's, here's what I can rely on. God is working, and because God is working, I know that I can go. And I know that He keeps His promise. And I know that He never rejects His people. And I know that I can be confident that He is going to accomplish everything that He has set out, despite me. He will accomplish everything that he has set out to do. So let's go, I told you from the message. Let's read that doxology from verse 33 uh, through 36 from the message. And, and, and hear it in, in these words. Maybe it, uh, maybe it, it uh, resonates with your heart better. Have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask for his advice? Everything comes from Him. Everything happens through Him. Everything ends in Him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes. 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 Let's pray together. God, You are so good. And God, we are, we are so grateful for who You are. God, for the way that You work. God, for your promises that never fail. And God, we, we have to admit the truth that we, we don't understand. We don't know how you're going to work out everything in your plan. But God, we can stand assured on the fact that you will. You're working today. You'll be working tomorrow. And your plan will be accomplished because you said so. So God, for us, as we go forward, God, I pray that we go forward in that victory. Through the fog, through the confusion, through the joy, and through the victory. God, knowing that you're working. And God, worshiping you with all all of our hearts every day because of who you are and what you're doing. And God, we love you so much. God, in this, the evidence of how much we need you is so big. But God, we say at the same time that we trust you. God, have, you way, have your way in our hearts. And God, I pray that our response to you is always yes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.